Welcome to Between the Shelves, the premier Savo Library podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and this week I am joined by Jonathan, the head of our community outreach department. Hi, Jonathan. Hi there, Alex. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for coming. All right. Thank you and, for having us. Yeah. And I'm also joined by Aaron, our latest and greatest addition to the adult, adult services department. Hi, Aaron. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Good. Thanks again for coming. Uh, this is not going to be a painful experience, I promise. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have you back again. <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah. Uh, what is your greatest fear? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd like to start the podcast by just talking about what we're into right now. It's just a better way to uh, to learn about uh, your local librarians by uh, by what they're interested in. So um, does anyone want to start off? I don't mind starting. I don't care. I can I can jump in and start right. if you want. Yeah. So. Uh, so two things that I'm into right now, like off the top of my head, are uh, motorcycles because I got my motorcycle license in 2022, and so I'm a motorhead right now, kind of a closet motorhead, like investigating all sorts of things about motorcycles and riding techniques and things like that. And then uh, the other adventure that I have in my life is my my little dog that we were talking about before, my new little puppy Daisy, uh, who is my little sock monster. Uh, stealing everything and uh, she's a mix between a cavalier king charles spaniel and a cocker spaniel and she definitely like i was saying before has more of the cocker spaniel in her because she is a huntress big time so yeah i have a dachshund keeping me busy the tiny warriors (laughs) right exactly (laughs) they know no bounds (laughs) are you gonna get a little side cart for your motorcycle (laughs) i don't think daisy will stay in it (laughs) i'll be parked on the side of the road running down after it daisy come back come back (laughs) we've already done a little bit of that like she got out once so that was very uh yes so uh yeah so that keeps me very busy right now and uh on the side, I also have my private pilot's license, as I think you know, Alex. So yeah. uh, anything to do with flying, I'm always into aviation. Yeah, if you're not flying down the highway on your motorcycle. You're yeah, a little bit of that, right? Well, when I can't afford to fly because I still rent, you know, uh, then I hop on the motorcycle, and it's a similar effect. It's yeah. a similar feeling. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's great. So, yeah, so I it's know. Fun. Uh, getting a motorcycle during the pandemic with the shortage of uh, of everything the supply chain was crazy yeah. exactly it was a uh, it was a crazy experience i had called several dealers when i could finally figure out and felt like i knew enough about what i wanted uh because depending on the type of bike that you buy there's all different kinds of bikes to buy and then each bike each bike style has its own unique riding position so you really have to know ahead of time if you're going to wind up hunched over on a particular bike or if you're going to be upright i like to be upright because i'm not looking to do like a hundred down the yeah like the what are they the ninja style no yeah no those are fun those are fun but but you know, it's just not the kind of riding that I do. I'm a little bit more slower and, and a bit more cautious. That's like the pilot side of me that's, yeah. you know, think before you act. So, uh, yeah, so it was fun trying to look for a, uh, a motorcycle. A lot of dealers didn't have any stock. Uh, so you would look on a particular manufacturer's website and it would say that they were in stock, but you'd call the dealer and they would say, well, no, we can order them for you. Everything was a special order scenario where you basically had to buy, uh, buy blind, you right, know, right. Um, and everything you know, on the showroom floor hope, was taken. So yes, yeah. it, absolutely. Or everything on the showroom floor was used. And, you know, if you wanted to buy a new bike, it was really hard to do that. But I did finally find one, uh, that was in stock. And the minute I sat on it, I was like, this just works for me. And then that's the one that I bought. So, and, and I've been having fun zipping around our, our town with nice. that. So are you planning any trips? Oh, not on this bike because no. it's very small. <laughs> this particular motorcycle is meant for city driving. So it's meant to be a city get about uh, point A to point B in a town, which is, which is perfect for our area. Uh, so it's, it's great to run little errands. Everything becomes an adventure. Like yeah. going to the supermarket becomes an adventure. You, you see the road and you see your town through a totally different set of eyes that you would never have when you're... So how does one carry their groceries back home on a motorcycle? Ah, Holding them on the handlebars. Well, I kind of found out the hard way, and uh, I did not come well-equipped on my first outing, which happened to just be like to a a local drugstore, to go pick up like some small items. And then I realized when I walked out of said store that 
walking back to my very small little bike <laughs> that I had nothing to go home with. And so fortunately, my motorcycle jacket, like you have a special jacket for riding. Uh, it's a much more heavier grade material, so it can you know withstand an impact. God forbid that happens. Uh, but it has a lot of pockets. And uh, <laughs> I shoved shampoo in one pocket. I had soap in another pocket. I had toothpaste in another pocket. And could barely move driving back home, but it was, but like I said, it was an adventure and it was a new way to, yeah. uh, to do things that you take for granted every day. So now Spicing I have... Spicing up even the most mundane... That's right. Yeah, yes, experiences. exactly. Yeah. So now I have a little seat pack for it and it doesn't hold much, but I can, I can put a small bag of, uh, of items in there, so... Nice. And Jonathan has a, uh, a leather biker's jacket <laughs> with Save Library's logo and oh, absolutely. embroidered sure, on the exactly. back. Yeah. With flames coming off of it. Oh, you got it. That's No, I am totally incognito when I ride. <laughs> yeah, everyone in Sable knows you, so you have to have you have to always keep your helmet on. I have to yeah, it's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's it's fun. That's fun. Nice. No. Okay. Well now my what I'm into sounds boring compared to motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very cool. Aaron, do you want to go next or I can go? I, I'll go. Okay. Um, so right now I've honestly been binge watching Downton Abbey, even though I've seen it. Very I started, nice. I watched like the second film and I just got really, it was like, mm. let me watch the first few episodes again, just so you know. And I sat there and I keep watching it and watching it and I'll watch like at least two episodes a night and it'll be late and I'll be like, I really need to go to bed, but I don't remember what happens next. So I want to watch it. Um, <laughs> And even my husband will sit and watch it with me, and he'll ask me all kinds of questions. And I'll be like, just, just wait. <laughs> I cannot explain all this. is way too involved for you to understand what's going on right now. You missed too many episodes. You're just going to have to wait. So that, and just honestly, anything to do with food. Mm. I've been really getting more involved. I watch a lot of um, like the Great British Baking Show and things like that. Yeah, Lately, sure. I've been doing more with... Um, reading cookbooks mm -hmm. and trying new recipes and new like baking recipes and getting more adventurous. Like I just made my first, um, curry uh, nice. a couple of months ago, which was an experience because you, you have curry in a restaurant and you mm. understand, you know what it tastes like, but then mm. when you're making it and you're making curry paste and you stick your face into the blender, that is a whole nother sensation <laughs> of just all of the garlic and the ginger and the onion just hitting you in the face. You're like, whoa, yeah. maybe, it, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe this is wrong, but no. It, no, strong, loud flavors. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so that, I've been doing that too. And I've been taking my son with me. He's 13, so I've been... Uh, Try to get him because he likes cooking and baking. So we've been doing some of that together. Very nice. Um, so that's been nice yeah. too. I've been doing a little bit of that myself. I will get into this later in the uh, the episode when we talk about our, our previous work experience. <laughs> but uh, I, I do a lot of cooking myself and I'm trying to get my son involved. He's much, much younger. He's, he's two. So he's not doing... <laughs> his culinary skills are pretty lacking. He's but, a young apprentice. But he's okay. very curious about it. So he play, like all the games he plays on his iPad, they all involve cooking. So I'm trying to help him go, uh, you know, learn little things here and there. He has his own knife set. I know two-year-olds with knives, but they're, they're, <laughs> they're plastic. You couldn't cut yourself yeah. with them. Yeah. But he's basically just chopping bananas. Oh, cute. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, learning to cook is such an important skill. And sure. So I'm trying to get it instilled Absolutely. in him. Yeah. Sure. That's great. I love curry. I used to, I went through a curry phase myself. And uh, it's fun to cook. It's pungent, aromatic. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot you can do with it, which I didn't she, realize, yeah. you know. Mm. So it, it's, I'm, I'm looking to experiment with a lot of different types of food and trying different things and getting my kids to try different kinds of things because they're fairly open minded food wise, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. Um, like my older son, I wasn't expecting him to like the curry because it has a little bit of heat to it, not a lot. Mm. And I was waiting. I was just waiting for this is too hot. But that didn't happen. I was like, okay. I did it, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is good. So it's just moving on from there. But part of it is that we're going to talk about this later. I know it's finding the time. Yeah. Indeed. And, and like the energy to be like, do I really want to try a new recipe tonight? Do I really want to do that? <laughs> um, yeah. But if, if cooking is your hobby, at least it's kind of like killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. Like I can do my hobby and serve the function of feeding my family at the same time where, you know, that's a right. motorcycle, you, you can't, you know, well, I guess you're doing grocery shopping. Yeah, yeah, you can get stuff done. Yeah. yeah, you can. You can get stuff done. I mean, you can't, you know, I've, I'm exploring the idea of maybe a cup holder, but there is absolutely <laughs> no way you can drink anything and, and ride a motorcycle. You'll totally be wearing it 
you know, and no. or the wind will take it up your face and you know around your helmet. Maybe be a, awesome, fix but... the cup holders to the helmet <laughs> with the straw. The, yeah, the I know tube. straw would be would be very necessary because I, I've tried before. You know, if I've just tried to adjust my glasses, you know, you you wind up hitting the side of the helmet and you you don't realize that your glasses are like four inches deep yeah. inside a big piece of plastic, and it's very difficult to fix things once the helmet is on. So, uh, but I did get, uh, it's a little audio piece that will enable me to call or to speak to another rider, uh, while I'm riding. It's kind of like a little aviation headset type of thing made for motorcycles, but I have to take the motorcycle helmet apart to get it inside. So I might just, you know, get really lazy and bring it up to the bike shop and be like, can you fix this? You know, and just ask them to. So this allows you to talk to other motorcycles? It does. It does. It's an intercom. So, uh, and this one, I think it can handle at least four or five other riders. I mean, I don't picture myself having that many people to talk with. Like, I I don't think there's a librarian bike pack out there someplace. (laughs) Either that or now they're going to come find me. (laughs) But uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, that'll help me communicate while I'm, while I'm riding. So interesting, but yeah, yeah. So So that's, is it like, do they have to be in close proximity or is it more like a radio? Within within like a half mile. Okay. Uh, The, the higher end, um, intercom you know headsets that you buy have a better range and better capability i I bought a mid-grade because i just i still don't know what i'm doing yet so i (laughs) i didn't want to go really beginner grade but i didn't want to spend a whole lot so i kind of just went right down the right down the middle but i you know riding season is almost upon us like spring is coming so i have to get that that headset organized really quickly but that's interesting. Yeah, so it's it's a lot of fun. So it's cool. it's definitely a learning experience, big yeah. time. You're not listening to, uh, to Libby audiobooks while you're writing the. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Right now, right now, I'm too new. It's kind of like focus, focus yeah. on the road, yeah. look for other cars. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of fun. All right. Well, here I'll talk about what I'm into. Yeah. Um, I have two things. So I don't know. I doubt either of you have heard of this, but in my circles. This was a big news story that came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, the creators of Dungeons and Dragons, the role-playing game, mm-hmm. were in a little bit of hot water because they were changing the way they licensed Dungeons and Dragons to the public. Oh. So previously, if you wanted to make, say, a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons, it was you could do that. It was fine. But now they wanted to start charging content creators who oh, were using their boy. materials, yep. which mm-hmm. got a, they got a lot of backlash and they ended up backing <laughs> down. But in the meantime, in that you know month period where they were still on the fence and uh-huh. they were getting a lot of uh, a lot of hate from the community about this, um, independent role playing games like tripled their sales because everyone was leaving Dungeons and Dragons to go try other stuff. And uh, I love the independent mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons I, I played since I was a kid. It's you know it's a classic, but uh, gets kind of stale in my right, opinion. Right. So I like to see what other people are doing. Um, and my favorite independent publisher is called Free League Publ- Publishing or Fria Liga. They're from Sweden. Okay. And they uh, they recently, I think it was a year or two ago, during the pandemic, they got the license to make an Alien role playing game, Alien Ooh. the movie Alien, awesome. which is <laughs> I'm a huge Alien fan. So this is like my two worlds com- colliding. It's yeah. it's a beautiful. The book itself is beautiful. It's super high quality. The artwork in it is fantastic. Mm. It has, if you're an alien fan, it has the entire chronolog- chrono- chronology chronology of all of the films and the novelizations all like condensed so you can kind of reference it Ooh. as you're playing the game. It's, it's great. If you're an alien fan, you should have it in your collection, even if you never play. Um, <laughs> so I love this company. I try to support them when I can. And they uh, just this year, they got the license for Blade Runner the film Ooh. so i just got the blade runner book and i re- i love the film but i never read the book it's based off of mm. the philip k dick novel do androids dream of electric sheep is what it's called so i finally got around to reading that and it's so good so i'm in like a blade runner headspace right now um <laughs> it's a such a I, I wish i'd read it earlier it's so good it's um uh, it's what every good sci-fi novel should be you know it, it yeah. uses the setting and the world to kind of address philosophical questions, I guess. Um, and I guess the main one of do androids dream of electric sheep is, uh, you know, what does it mean to be human? Right. Um, right. Cause it's all a kind of an interplay between androids who are synthetic humans and, yep. and actual humans. And, yep. you know, some characters are kind of, uh, 
androgynous. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. You don't know who yeah. they are. And yes. um, so it kind of tackles that question. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. So that's one thing I'm into right now. Uh, the other thing is a podcast, and I know it's not good form to promote other <laughs> podcasts on your podcast, but uh, <laughs> it's what I'm into right now. It's called Dead Eyes. Okay. It is. Uh, it actually just finished. It's. I guess you could call it a mini series. It's. It doesn't. It's not an ongoing podcast. It has a start and a finish. I think it's thirty episodes. It's. Uh, it's run by. Well, I guess it's only one person. It's uh, Connor Ratliff, who is a comedian actor. And the entire premise of the podcast is um, Connor was one of uh, 20 years ago. Do you remember the show Band of Brothers? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So he got a role on Band of Brothers. He was very young, like early 20s. And he was fired from the show by Tom Hanks. Ooh. Wow. And he found out, he came to find out that Tom Hanks fired him because he had, quote unquote, dead eyes. Huh. So the entire podcast is him... Trying to get to the root of, you know, is this true? What happened? Because he was like on set, basically, to the like ready to film the next day, and then he was he was fired. Oh my word! So it's kind of like the a setup like a true crime podca- mm. podcast where mm-hmm. you know he's kind of piecing the the puzzle together. Um, but now, twenty years later, he's a well established actor. He's yeah. well connected. So every episode, he brings on like a list celebrities who are tangentially related to Band of Brothers or him as an actor so um it's it's funny but it's it's you know also a little touching because he talks a lot about like the struggles of being an actor and rejection all Mm. this stuff so it's really good and i i'm only halfway through it i know how it ends and it ends the way the podcast should end where he interviews tom hanks oh so i'm (laughs) drama really looking forward to it um he's he's not you know so much time has passed. He's not like holding a grudge anymore. It's not like that at all. Of but, course not. But um, <laughs> it's really funny. It's it's very good. Every episode's about a half an hour, roughly, and they all mm. go around a central theme. But uh, even in the the twelve episodes or so I've listened to, they've had amazing guests like John Hamm, Ron Livingston, who is like the lead of uh, Band of Brothers. Yeah. Um, who else? Um, Seth Rogen was on it. A whole bunch of like A list celebrities. Uh-huh. He's yeah. friends with all these people. Um, so it's, I highly recommend it. And that's what I'm into right now. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, uh, I've already talked about this at length, but you can talk about some of your favorite books you read last year. Awesome. Okay, we're back. So let's talk our favorite books of 2022. What, uh, what did you, what did y'all read last year? Shall I jump in? Sure. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, so, in keeping with uh, with my conundrum with how to raise my cochlear, ear, um, I wound up finding one of the best books uh, to help raise a dog, to help train a dog. And I found it by way of a patron's reference request that came to the library here. And uh, the, the patron came up to me and was busy training a dog. And she had done it before and said that she had... Uh, used a book that was incredible, but she had a little trouble remembering the exact title. So we did a little sleuthing online, and then lo and behold, we found it, and it's called Good Owners, Great Dogs by Brian Kilcommons. And uh, what an amazing book. After I reserved it for her, uh, I quickly ran to my, my bookstore, and I grabbed a copy of this because I was in dire need of training my dog and uh, she was really running the house and I needed to turn the tables. And I have to say this book is amazing for training a puppy. Uh, just very sound advice. Um, Brian Kilcommons apparently is very experienced. Uh, it's the first book I've, I've read of his, uh, but very experienced in training, you know, all sorts of breeds. And uh, it's so easily laid out. It's just laid out in topics. So, for instance, like, I was in dire need of finding the chapter on biting. I needed to fix that. And, uh, and it was a, a great, very simple, you know, way to train them. And it's working. You know, I would say Daisy is a work in progress. But we're doing less of biting. And, you know, it's, it's, she's coming around. She's coming around. So, Good Owners, Great Dogs, excellent, excellent book. So, and, uh, and then my, my other book that I, I go to often is the, believe it or not, and you're going to chuckle, this is the New York State Motorcycle Manual, so I have to, uh, 
you know, if people aggravate me and they do dumb things, laugh like when, I'm, when I'm riding, like then I have to go back and look it up and be like, see, I was right. You know, but <laughs> at any rate, and then there's also the safety aspect of it. Just trying to make sure because, you know, when you buy a tiny motorcycle, you realize how like small you are on the road compared to everybody else. And so you, you have to make sure that you know what you are doing because you'll wind up in situations where like you need to know what the rules are supposed to be uh, so that you can anticipate when people don't follow the rules. Uh, and and save yourself, you know, so that you can live to ride another day. Yeah, uh-huh. you don't end up a pancake. So, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. So Daisy cannot have a pancake for an owner, so that you know that wouldn't work. So those are my those are my two that I've been reading faithfully. And then just for flying, I always go back to Cessna has an operational manual for the 172R, which is the plane I trained on. So uh, I always go back to that just to kind of stay fresh. Uh, on all the aircraft systems and things like that so that you know when you climb on board and you're getting ready to fly there there is no time to go look something up like you have to really have it right at the the front of your mind so um, it's one of those things where you just have to keep practicing your knowledge and making sure that you're you're crisp so that when air traffic asks you to do something you can comply and you can make sure that your plane is still going to fly in a coordinated you know way while you're doing what air traffic control is asking you to do so so those are those are my three reads that I'm working on. Very practical reads, especially <laughs> yes. well, not with save your, your tail. tail. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, for 2022, I I actually read a lot more than I uh, used to read. Um, I started reading more during the pandemic, during lockdown. I wasn't reading before, and mm. I was able to finally start reading yeah. fiction again. So. Um, my favorite fiction book of last year was a book called Where I Can't Follow by Ashley Blooms, which was actually published in 2022. And it's, uh, it's like a take on magical realism. So it's about like this county in Kentucky where um, some people get what they term doors, that suddenly one day a door will just appear in some kind of form. It can just be a hole in the wall. It can huh. be you know something else. And eventually they have to make the decision of whether or not to go through that door and never come back. No one knows where it goes or to tell the door to go away and the door will disappear. And so the main character, of course, her door arrives Mm. and uh, her mother had taken the door years ago when she was a child and never come back. So she's dealing with that. She's dealing with a lot of things and the town, the county itself is dealing with um, the opioid epidemic. Oh, wow. Um, so it discusses that too. That comes into the story as well. So basically it's about this, you know, young woman trying to figure out, you know, whether she keeps kind of pushing through all the difficulties that she's faced with in life or if she just takes the door. Takes the door. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I thought it was really well written. I thought the, the, you know, the idea of it was really interesting, especially if you look at it, you know, um, with the opioid epidemic, that idea of people taking opioids to escape um, and going yeah. through a door in a sense. Yeah. And this is like a different kind of door. Yeah. So that I really liked. I read a lot of actually good fiction, but that was the one that stuck with me for some reason. Mm-hmm. I would just describe it to people. And I don't normally talk about books that I'm reading to people and be like, blah, 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 blah. But <laughs> I kept talking about that one. Um, the other one was um, I usually listen to nonfiction in the car as mm-hmm. an audiobook. And um, my favorite of last year was uh, it's an older book. It's Julie and Julia, 365 Days, 524 Recipes, One Tiny Apartment Kitchen by Julie Powell, oh. which is became a movie, you know, Julie and Julia. Yes. Um, and I've watched the movie several times. And because I've been so interested in food, I decided, let me let me listen to her read the book. And I happened to be listening to her reading the book when she passed away last year, uh, which was oh. really actually kind of difficult because then, yeah. you know, the next time I was listening to it, it's her reading the audiobook and it's yep. like, yep. that's really tragic because wow. she was young. Um, but she just has a very strong personality. I don't know. Did you ever read that? I, or no? I've watched the movie several okay. times. Nora Ephron movie. It's great. Yeah. 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 But she, um, she has a very strong yet kind of vulnerable personality and it comes out a lot in her writing. She's very approachable. She's very fallible. She's got a really good sense of humor. So it was just really like enjoyable, especially listening to her mess things up in the kitchen. It makes me feel a lot better because I sure. <laughs> I mess things up and she's talking about throwing a tantrum. It's like, oh, I feel so much better now <laughs> about the occasions, you know, when someone comes in the kitchen, like, what are you making? Nothing, you know, it didn't work, but it's nice. So did that book, reading that book inspire you to start cooking or were you already interested no, in? No, I was already, I was already interested yeah, I've always liked like food programs and things. I've always liked food. Big food fan. But um, 
I just decided to start really exploring more of that myself and, and in different avenues other than sure. just watching like a cooking competition. You yeah. Know, what can I do myself and how can I kind of broaden what we're eating? You know, it can't be tacos every other night. As easy and right. as enjoyable as that is, um, you know, what else can I do here? So It is nice to hear when things fail because, you know, so much of cooking is trial and error too. It's, you know, it, it's, it's muscle, it becomes muscle memory, but... Just translating something from a recipe, especially with something foreign, not not meaning like international, just something you've never attempted before. Exactly, yeah. It's hard to like put words to okay, I have fire in front of me and yeah. <laughs> all these ingredients. I need to put this yeah. together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that was what was nice about the book too, because Julie Powell, you know, goes through because she's um, doing Julia Child's, you know, the um, what is it, the art of art French of French cooking. Yeah. yeah, and it's such a complicated like some of the things she's talking about, like she's making aspics. I'm like. What is an aspic? But these are things that people used to eat. And she's like talking about how she's practically torturing her and her husband to try to make these things because they don't like them. <laughs> but they are still, she needs to make all the recipes because that is what she has set for herself to do in a year. She's going to make every recipe in the book. And some of them are just like, oh. And some of them just sound so complicated. But she did it as someone who liked to cook but wasn't an overly experienced cook. Yeah. Just kind of took it on. and. Yeah. You know, it became a journey. It didn't just uh, that's become exactly about right. food. Just it became say. Right. about sure. this journey and this growth sure. of a person. Sure. So. Well, it started as a, a blog, didn't it? Yeah. So yeah. how does it translate from a blog to a, a book? Did she did she rewrite it, or is it more about well, her she, journey? She than... didn't. It, it, she's reflecting on it. Like she oh, okay. goes through. She talks about the blog, and she talks about you know everything else that was going on, and some of the stuff she takes you know somewhat from the blog, and other things are just other things that she probably. Although I've, I've heard, I never read the blog, I've heard that she was pretty upfront in the blog about different things going on yeah. and stuff like that. So you listen to this on audiobook, you said. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you, I'm, I, you mentioned that you listen to nonfiction. Yeah. I'm the same way. I can't listen to fiction for some reason. I can only listen to nonfiction and audiobooks. Something about listening to fiction... I just space out yeah. and you I just lose tune out. I, I can relate Absolutely. to that. <laughs> yeah. Nonfiction kind of stays on point. Yes. Where, you know, if you, I talked about this in a previous episode, so I'm repeating yeah. myself. Okay. But um, yeah, I don't know. Is that is that has anyone else found that to be true, or is it just me? Something's wrong with my brain. I, I've had discussions <laughs> with people who I've told them that I listen to audiobooks, to nonfiction audiobooks, and they've told me that they can't, that they can't keep track. They start phasing out. You know, when they're listening to it, and right. I do too, especially because I'm driving most of the time right. or I'm folding right. laundry or whatever sure. I'm doing. But it, you know, if I need to go back, I go back. It's not a big deal. Or if I miss like a little detail, it's, I, I'm not, you know, reading about uh, like motorcycle safety or something. So it's not like I really have to focus really intently <laughs> because it's important. It's just something that interests me. So I, I don't, I don't have an issue with it. I've only listened to one fiction book, I, uh-huh. uh, Where the Crowd okay. Sing. And I don't know if I could have gotten through it if I read it. And I don't know why. Just something mm. about the, listening to the language. I think if I had read it, I might have put it down. Yeah. I, I, I just prefer nonfiction. Something about listening to it. So yeah. It almost feels like a lecture, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But even memoir. Like I listen to like this. I, I like that uh, some of the memoirs I've listened to have been by the author. Like I, uh, Viola yeah. Davis's memoir I listened to. And it was her. And she just won the Emmy for that. And she shouldn't because it was incredible. Um, and I just had a conversation with a, a colleague um, at another library, and they were talking about how they read the book, and they had issues reading it. Like, there were parts of it that they didn't like and things like that, or parts of it that they didn't understand entirely. And I was like, I didn't have that problem at all because I was listening to her right. tell me. Right. So to me, I didn't have any of those issues. Yeah, mem- memoirs lend themselves beautifully to audiobooks, almost o- only if it's read by the... The author themselves. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, because they they per- they add their own. They know the inflections. They know mm-hmm. the story by heart. So it's almost like listening to a story as opposed to, to somebody reading off of a sheet of paper. Yeah, I've had so many patrons share with me too, just here at the library, that for audiobooks, uh, it's almost more about their enjoyment of the narrator's voice and yes. the way the narrator reads the story it's almost more so for the enjoyment of that than it is for the story itself and i'm a big nonfiction guy as well so every honestly that that's just where i gravitate so even if i were to go pick up an audiobook it would be on a nonfiction topic 
that right. that's just where my interests are but i can totally understand like the narration point of it mm -hmm. sometimes you find someone's voice that you enjoy and that just kind of helps you on that escape if you're looking for your your read to be an escape yeah. you know to just enjoy a story being read mm -hmm. You know, which is really interesting that we still, as adults, we still like to go back to that yeah. story hour in us, that, that time as kids, you know, when we may have spent time with the children's librarians and had a story read to us, yeah. you know, uh, we, we still enjoy that. There's something about that. Somebody needs to do a study on that. Yeah. So. It's funny you mentioned that. And the more I, we do this podcast, the more we keep circling back to the similar talking points mm. in, uh, I believe it's episode four. Uh, with Carrie and Meg, yeah. listeners will know. Uh, but uh, we talked about this for quite a while. Like the um, Meg mentioned that there's an uh, I'm sorry, I forget the uh, the narrator's name, but there's a narrator she loves. Um, my wife loves her too, and I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her name. But they they will read books just because this narrator yes. is reading it because she's so good at it. Yes. And um, and likewise, the other point you were making, Carrie mentioned how um, we would talk. We were talking about. Uh, would you like to have the experience of reading your first book again for the first time? And she mentioned that the book, that her favorite book, was actually read to her. Mm. So she talked about how that is so much a part of the experience and how, how how great that is. And maybe that's why audiobooks are so appealing. I know almost every librarian I've spoken to in the podcast has mentioned how Libby has changed the way they read. Uh, uh, just yeah. having things read to them. It's, it's a, sure. kind of like a little bit of a comfort. You know? Sure. Exactly. Podcast similar is very similar. Mm -hmm. I find too that it, well, I kind of this this point that I'm going to say kind of goes both way for me, both ways for me. But you know, sometimes if I just want to get through a particular book, like there's a lot of content, and I just want to absorb as much as I can as quickly as I can because I'm short on time, I might run to the audiobook. Yeah. So that I just kind of listen along, I get my points, and then I, I move on to the next chapter. But sometimes, you know, there's the there's the magic of having like the old fashioned book in your hand. Sometimes if I'm reading and I just want to be expedient, like I like the fact that I can just flip back with a thumb. It almost has something to do with muscle memory. Mm. And I can, I, I just kind of know where the spot is in the book that, that I read and I just want to go back and review and I just I flip back to it, get it. And then I zip on to the next portion of what I'm reading, you know, but that's probably reveals a lot about how I read. Like I, I don't read one book at a time or I don't listen to one thing at a time. I usually have a stack and I don't know if I have like an attention problem like or something like that where I, I can't keep my attention for long. Uh, but I usually have like five or six things that I just kind of circle through, you know, and yeah. I'll, you know, I'll move, I'll put one book down and then I'll, I'll get interested in another topic and read about something else. And then I circle back to the other thing in my pile. So it takes me forever to get through something. Because I'm never reading one thing all the way through, you know, at a, at a yeah. time. So I'm the opposite. I am, oh, really? I am gotta... one audiobook and one physical book <laughs> at a time. And I, I, it's, I, it's usually one fiction, one nonfiction. Ah, uh, I, I can't nice. read two fiction at the same time because then the worlds start to bleed together and it's a mess. <laughs> but that's how, and even if I don't enjoy the book, I, I have it. I've gotten better about this now, but I used to kind of trudge through a book even yeah. if I wasn't enjoying it yeah. just because yeah. I'm like a completionist mentality or something. <laughs> uh, but I've gotten better about abandoning a book if it's not giving me pleasure to, That's right. to read. Yeah. That's and right. Mm -hmm. This gets me to the, the point I wanted for the topic I wanted to discuss a little, a little bit with you two is uh, finding the time to read you know, as we're our lives, you know, we're getting older, we have more responsibilities. Sure. We have our, our hobbies, you know, that we also are not book related. That mm. we, mm -hmm. you know, the little time we have, we need to enjoy those too. Um, so I'm wondering, do you have um, maybe like a routine that you follow to get to reading it, to get your, you know, your reading in or your practices? Do you set a goal for yourself or is it just catch as catch can? It's very much catch as catch can. Mm -hmm. With the audiobooks, it's easy um, because if I'm in the car or like I said, if I'm home and I'm upstairs folding laundry or something, I'll turn the audiobook on because it's on my phone. Um, so that's easier. As far as the physical books, and I do the, I read fiction, you know, I, I do the same thing with one, one nonfiction, one fiction. I always read as a, you know, print because I don't like ebooks. Um, but finding that time is a lot harder. I tend to, you know, if I'm in the middle of cooking and something's cooking for, you know, I, I can leave it for 15 minutes, I'll actually sit, our, our stairwell is adjacent to our kitchen dining area mm -hmm. and I'll sit in the stairwell and hide in the <laughs> stairwell and I'll read for like 10 minutes and that's what I do sure. I take these little snippets of time yeah. because I, I've tried reading at night 
like when I get home, and especially mm-hmm. if I'm doing like a late shift of the library or something, I'm getting home at nine o'clock, sure. having dinner, and then I'm, you know, comatose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't focus on it. I can't focus on reading. Yeah. So I have to find these other snippets of time. Sometimes on the weekend, I'll sneak upstairs and yep. <laughs> disappear for a little mm-hmm. while and read. Or if it's nice that I like to read outside, yeah. I'll take a little time, I'll take coffee, and I'll sit outside nice. and read for like 20 minutes if, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing else going on. Yeah, but it is it, it, it is really difficult because you just, there's always something demanding mm-hmm. your I time. agree with you. Life moves yeah. too fast. Yeah. At least at least on my end of things. And well, you're so, on a motorcycle. It is. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's just very little time to sit for any length and absorb something. So, for me, it's just, it's catch as catch can. Mm-hmm. The minute I have, like, a, a moment... I, I jump to one thing and then I get called to something else. And, you know, that's just the way life is right now for me. So, um, yeah, it's little bits and pieces here and there. That, that's probably the other reason why it takes me 10,000 years to get through a book, you know, but, uh, yeah. yeah, so, so. Yeah, I, um, Aaron, I, I'm the same way. When I get home after, you know, a long day, sometimes a double, and I have to cook dinner and, mm. and get everyone to bed and everything. I'm too tired to, to read. It would I know I'd read a page and I'd be out like a light. So most of my reading in print I do on my lunch break here. I sit in my car and I read. That's that's when I do all of my, my fiction reading because I can just focus on reading in print. But I also, it's nice because I always have my book on the passenger seat of my car. So, you know, if I go to get my hair cut or, there you, go. you yes. know, going anywhere, I know I have that with me. So that's yeah. a nice practice if you are trying to fill in, uh, you know, yeah. you can chip away at it by just... Having, you'll find, you know, every, now that time is being filled with scrolling on your phone, but you'll find, you know, those those opportunities, you get a few of them here and there. And if you have yeah. a book in your pocket or close yeah. by, you can you can read a couple pages. Um, and then the audio books, I use Libby every day. Driving in the car, I listen to an audio book. Cooking dinner, I'll have my headphones in maybe, or doing the dishes or something. I'll have an audio book in. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm, my wife is... Hi, hi, Meg. <laughs> she's listening. <laughs> she can read. She's a voracious reader, and oh. uh, but she puts me to shame. I, I'll, I'll be lucky to get through, you know, two books a month. Um, that's like a good month. Yeah. So, yeah, you just gotta chip away. Yes, just that's take right. Take the opportunities when you can. That's right. That's right. I find uh, just like what you're saying about like reading in between appointments and things like that. Uh, there, I have found a purpose in my life for eBooks. I don't. I don't particularly enjoy reading an ebook just because of the mechanics of it like this kind of press this way to, to page forward at one page at a time like sometimes I like to like I said before I like to zip back to a certain portion of my book but um, many times believe it or not you might think this is a waste of resources but I may get an audiobook and then I may also buy the ebook of it uh, to keep it on my phone for those little snippets of time. And I'll flip through to the ebook, like to where I left off in the audiobook and kind of read while, you know, that mode works while reading, you yeah. know, yeah. works. So, um, so, you know, it, having a collection of ebooks, my collection of ebooks is a little redundant with what like I'm, I'm physically reading or listening to because, you know, I'm just keeping that as an extra format that's convenient, yeah. you know, for me. Oh, yeah. yeah, I actually do that if I'm not enjoying a book, just so I can get it through it quicker. <laughs> I did right, it exactly. recently. I don't even want to mention the book, uh, but <laughs> don't give it any air. I'm like, it's the completionist mentality. We're like, I know I don't enjoy this book, but I need yes. to get through it. So I'll listen to it, and you know, when I'm done listening to it, I have a chance. I'll start picking it up and reading it. So just to get it through it twice as fast. <laughs> Uh-huh. Alex, I am like if I if I'm reading something I hate, I'm pulling the emergency slide and I'm off the plane. That's it. I'm out. <laughs> Gone. If, if I'm if I'm like le- less than a quarter of the way through the book and I'm dragging, 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 I I drop it. Because, that's it. And I'll try, I'll try to figure out what it is. Is it the writing? Is it this? And now I'm just like I don't care. I just don't like it. It's just that's not right. working for me yep. at this time because that can change too. Yes, that can. You're more patient for something. That's right. You know, that, that's a little more maybe lyrical and you know, slower. And sometimes you're just not. Sometimes your brain is just not there. Your brain wants yeah. something like it wants a thriller or it wants, yep. you know, mm-hmm. something funny. It doesn't want something serious and dramatic. So you just have to be like, you know, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll it's... keep it on my to-read list because I'd like to read it yeah. someday, but... 
Like I've tried reading Withering Heights like four times. Mm. I can't. I can't get through it. And I love Emily Bronte. I love her poetry. I love all the Brontes. I cannot get through Withering Heights. And I've just given up now. Just, you know, give me the white flag. I give that's up. It. It's fine and that's okay. That does not make me a lesser person because I have not read Withering that's Heights. Right. Love but. yourself as a reader. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It's kind of like cooking though, you know, I mean, when you're reading something, it's it's all about what your brain has a taste for at that given mm-hmm. time. So yeah. sometimes you're just not tasting mm-hmm. whatever that story is or whatever that nonfiction topic is. And you're in the mood for your taste buds are craving something else, yeah. and so you you go in a different yeah. direction. So, I guess they'd yeah. call that a mood mood reading. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. It, which I'm I'm trying to do more of that. Yeah. Not not like work through um, my backlog of books. Yep. But I'll yep. I'll read something that I'm interested in at that exact moment. Yeah. And that will help me. I'll I'm finding I'm reading a lot more mm-hmm. and quicker if I'm if I'm doing that. If I'm reading something I'm interested in at that exact moment instead of. You know, like, oh, well, I haven't read uh, the whatever, like James Joyce is this book or whatever. And I'll like, oh, I guess now's a good time to read it. And I'll yep. start going through right. it. Maybe that's a bad example because I, I love James Joyce, but you get the idea. <laughs> All right. Well, great. I'm glad I'm not the only one who, who struggled. Or, you know, it's a universal struggle. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So let's take another break. And when we come back, we will uh, get to our main topic of the episode, uh, jobs we had before we became a librarian. Okay, we are back. And we are now going to discuss the topic at hand. What uh, what jobs did we have before we decided to become a librarian? I know, Aaron, you've had a few, few titles. You know, it's been a, a long journey to becoming a librarian. I feel like it has been for me too. Jonathan, you have a very mysterious past. We're going to dig into this. <laughs> Um, who wants to go first? I, I don't mind starting off. Yeah, why don't you start so, off? Um, sure. It's no mystery to anybody who's, who's talked to me about this topic at all, or talked to me about anything, because I always find a way to bring it up. Um, I was a, a cook for many, many years before ah. becoming a librarian, and I had a brief year, year and a half, where I was an actual chef. Ooh. So that is a lot of my work history. I know it, it may sound like it doesn't... Uh, really translate well to librarianship, but there are some skills I've picked up sure. along the way. But the, the best job I ever had were, were the, the bookends of my cooking career. Mm. Uh, the first job I ever had, uh, well, I was a dishwasher, and I worked my way up to a, a pizza cook at a, my local pizza joint there you back go. in Rhode Island. That's right. Uh, yeah, I know. It wasn't New York pizza, but I liked it. <laughs> we won't um, judge you. It was it was just the best job, because, and... Especially by the well, when I became a cook, it was a good job. Dishwashing is not is not a uh, romantic job at all. <laughs> but um, by the time I became a cook, um, at least the restaurant I worked at, it was mostly teenagers who ran the restaurant, mm. and I was you know sixteen, and I was a, pretty much like at the top of the the bill. So you know, it, it felt good knowing, especially because I started at the bottom and worked my way up, I knew every facet of the restaurant. So if anything went wrong or if anyone had any questions, I could answer it. Hmm. So that felt good, like being like the go-to person. You don't get that when you're 16 years old, like you don't know anything, but I knew that place. So that felt good. Hmm. And I got to eat free food and I love food. <laughs> so I, And this pizza place I worked at, in my opinion, has the best pizza. Ooh. So I was ma- I was experimenting, and I was just eating pizza all day long, <laughs> and uh, it was the best. So that that was I have good memories from from working there. And on the other end, the last cooking job I ever had was at um, it was at a very very nice cafe in uh, Newport, where I where I'm from, mm. and um, it was a grueling job. It was not a glamorous work environment, but I loved the people I was working with, and I loved one of them so much I married her. So oh, that was, that's great. Oh, my goodness. So that's, <laughs> those are like the nice bookends of my cooking career. Yeah. Everything in between those two jobs, that 10-year span, <laughs> are the worst jobs I ever had. So, um, yeah, they're, they're in, I'm going to talk about this later because I, I asked the staff on our our, yeah. our break room board what their best and worst jobs were and there's a, a lot of similarity in the, the worst jobs category and um, a lot of it is is food industry related mm, so I'm not okay. surprised to see that at all um, so that's that's kind of my experience I did do 
you know, I worked for nonprofits and I did writing and I did a lot of other stuff, but that's, that's a bulk of it. And that's, that's where most of my, my memories come from, my quick cooking experience. So I don't recommend it as a career choice for anyone. It is a grueling environment to, uh, to make your living in. And I, I, my hat's off to anybody who worked their way up to chef and can do that every day because it's tough. You work every holiday, you work odd hours in a bad environment usually when you're dealing with hostile people and sure. uh yeah it's tough it's a tough road but um but if you you have to love food to do it like you have and that's I, I stopped becoming a cook because i lost my passion for for food and if oh. you can't do it if if you're a chef especially because sure you, you can't go in every day and create create new things if you're not passionate about it so yeah. That's I kind of get out of there, and uh, I, luckily my my mom's one of her best friends was a librarian at the University of Massachusetts, and I was confiding in her that I wasn't happy with what I was doing, and she's you know she's like, well, have you thought about being a librarian? I'm like, that's a job. <laughs> it, it never clicked. Like I knew it was yeah. a job, yeah, but yeah. you know it never made. It, but you know I'd spent my whole life in libraries, and it never clicked. Right. And right. then uh, went to grad school, and you know the rest is uh, history. Wow. You know, Alex, you made me chuckle when you were sharing about your your stories at, at, you know, working at the the pizza restaurant. You know, when I I was an exchange professional uh, in Italy, in Calabria, the the southern region of Italy, with Rotary International. And uh, Rotary sent me over to compare and contrast American and Italian libraries, which was fascinating work. But I do have to tell you, there are great rivalries between towns, neighboring towns in Calabria over who makes the best pizza. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I made a very bad faux pas outside of Naples. We had just left Naples and went to another town and that town gave us their pizza. I've had pizza every which way you can possibly have in this universe uh, in Southern Italy. But we went to this next town and I made the mistake of like saying to that town, oh my gosh, this is the best pizza I have had. And Naples so got their hair, it all messed up and just all twisted over that i thought that i was going to get thrown off the exchange but like pizza is very passionate in italy that's a that's a thing it's passionate and long absolutely a thing yes it is yes it is yeah it is here in new york too i was at a birthday party a few years ago with one of my kids and somehow the topic of the best pizza in Sayville came up Mm. and it got contentious (laughs) and i was sitting there like there are camps yes yes there there are definite camps and you know it's yeah, it was, I'm not going to say who liked what, or I'm not going to get into that, but it was really interesting. I was like, wow, okay, okay, this is very serious. And, you know, and I've had the Chinese restaurant discussion with people, and it's, yeah, come, oh, I like this place, oh, I like this place, but the pizza was a whole nother world. It was like, no, their crust is terrible, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wow, okay. It's, <laughs> it's not, a good that, th- not that bad in Rhode Island, but <laughs> in, in New York. It's civilized in Rhode Island, is yeah. it, Alex? Is that- <laughs> yeah, we're very civil. <laughs> That's great. Aaron, I'm glad you didn't share what your favorite pizza is because if I'm from the other camp that I just may need to leave this interview because I don't know if I can stay oh, I would have edited it out anyways. I don't <laughs> want uh, Who wants to go next? I'll yeah, go. Sure. Um, yeah, I came into being a librarian later. I've only been a librarian for several years now and I'm older than Alex. Um, <laughs> probably older than you too, actually, Jonathan. I don't uh, know. Yeah. I don't <laughs> well, know. well, we're not going to We're going to have to chit-chat afterwards. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> but anyway, basically I spent a lot of time as a young person not really knowing what to do with myself. I changed my majors a whole bunch of times. Uh-huh. I went to nursing school briefly. Uh-huh. I wanted to be a, a paleoanthropologist for a little while. Wow. So I got my, you know, bachelor's in anthropology and, mm. you know, then decided that wasn't going to work for me. And just a lot of... You know, and in that time period, having lots of different kinds of jobs, like I've had several jobs in laboratories. One of my favorite jobs was actually in a vet lab. So, which you don't think about there being veterinary laboratories, but there are, obviously. Yeah, Yeah, sure. (laughs) But, and you wouldn't think of that as being like a fun job, but I mean, it had its serious aspects, obviously, you know, when you look at, you know, a blood sample of, you know, a dog or something and you see like all of these issues, you go, oh, that's not good. And you feel bad. But at the same time, people in labs are really 
an interesting, eccentric group of people <laughs> that choose to work in laboratories and be laboratory technicians. So it's just a really interesting mishmash of people from a lot of different backgrounds. Oh, and okay. just, we all got along well, so it made it, you know, and you said just earlier, Alex, you know, how, you know, working with people and working with a good group of people makes such a big difference. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of work in that laboratory, flavor laboratory, that was interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, a fl- it was a flavor and fragrance lab. Oh, wow, that must have been interesting. That, that was, it was really interesting, because mm. you, you don't think about, again, that's something else you don't think about, mm. you know, all the chemicals, honestly. Yeah. The flavors, and there are natural ones and artificial ones, and how little that actually goes into an end product, but yeah. all of the, yeah. you know, that you can have like a flavor chemist, that that's a job. Yeah. Sure, and sure. you run a department, and so, so that was interesting, but um I also worked at a, uh, a dermatologic surgeon's office. I was a surgical assistant for a little while. Oh, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was interesting. And yeah. that was also a really great group of people. So yeah. that definitely, you know, goes high up on the mm. uh, scale of jobs. Um, some of my worst jobs were um, when I was really young. I worked in like a retail uh, clothing store, which I'm not going to say what store it was. And I worked there for about three days. <laughs> and I was like, this is terrible and I hate this. So I left in the same with, um, I was a telemarketer ah. for a nonprofit, which Ooh. I really believed in the nonprofit. Uh-huh. But being a telemarketer is so difficult. This was in like the 90s, mm. um, probably the mid 90s when, you know, telemarketing was like a big thing. And people were just so rude. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm calling from a nonprofit. I'm not trying to get you to buy sure something I'm, I'm trying to you know get you to help an organization but so that lasted about three days as well <laughs> i could never <laughs> but eventually becoming a librarian became like this aha moment kind of like you were talking about i was having a discussion with a friend of mine whose uh, stepson was going to library school and i was like oh that's really interesting and i was trying to figure out what i was going to mm-hmm. do because my kids were i had been out of work for a little while raising my kids and i was just working part-time and trying to figure out what I was going to do with myself. And, you know, I thought about it. Well, I love libraries. I'm in libraries all the time. I love research. I'd like to have a career where I help people. And it was like this aha moment. I went home and I had a discussion with my husband and he just kind of jumped up and it's like, why didn't we think of this earlier? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, why didn't we think of this earlier? But we didn't. So I went to grad school. Excellent. And yeah. And so here I am. Here you are. Here I am. Very, very cool. Yeah. That's great. The uh, I I think, you know, looking back, um, one of the best jobs that I had, not not for the environment, but for the task that I did was um, in college, I actually worked in a language lab. And one of my jobs, I had a few interesting jobs in the language lab. I, I was a foreign language major, uh, Russian and Spanish uh, in undergrad school. And so they gave me a job in the, in the language lab. And my job was to record the satellite news broadcasts from all over the world. Uh, because, you know, depending on what time it was on the other side of the world, like I would be, I would be taping that country's news. So every, every night that I worked at the lab, I would, I would watch the news from Malaysia. And I, I would see the world through Malaysia's eyes and then the satellite would change and I would have to tune into France and I would be watching TF1, uh, T- TF1, I think that was the channel. Uh, and I would be, or Adu, Adu was the other channel I would, that I would tape and I would watch the French news and see the world from their eyes. And then the satellite would go to Mexico and I would be watching the Mexican news and it was only a half hour. So, you know, in a four hour span, I could watch a few different countries. And then I, then I would wind up watching Vrinya, which is the, was, was the, the Russian main newscast for the evening where they kind of wrapped up the day's happenings in, in Russia. And so that was one of the most fascinating jobs I had. Uh, that was fun. I had that for, for four years and then just working with the foreign language department, um, I worked with people from Japan, uh, people from Austria, people from Germany, uh, of course, Russia and, and Poland. And it was just fascinating. Mexico, people from all over the world. So that was, that was a great job, uh, to have. And, uh, it was truly an education. So that, that really fueled my, fueled my love for what's going on in the world and for, you know, international politics and then also for different cultures. You know, and, and learning from different perspectives and things like that. And 
that probably fed a little bit to to becoming you know a librarian and because we're constantly exposed to different perspectives in this profession sure everyone has a different perspective that comes into the library and you know and and they're looking for help to further their journey their personal journey on that so the language lab was a was an awesome was an awesome job to have and then another fun job that i had which I, i've spoken to alex a little bit about this was um i was a page so someone who you know shelves books and things like that um at suny stony brook and i worked in the special collections department and so uh, my job uh, was to help catalog, like the very beginning of the cataloging phase. We had had a, a donation of books from the 1800s uh, in special collections. All of the books were, were very old and rare books. The majority of books that I dealt with uh, as a page over at the university, the, the majority of the books were from the 1800s. Those were the newer books. Uh, and then I did have one instance where they brought me to a safe a very large walk-in safe and uh, we needed to move one particular book so I had to put gloves on a mask on and the book was from the 1400s uh, and so they very gently placed it in my hands and my job was to just hold it while they went and got a cart and it was this enormous tome it was very heavy uh, with buckles over the side uh, it looked like it, it had come from like a ship someplace like and sat on a ship forever you know regarding somebody's journey or something like that and uh that was a very a very fun thing but it was uh it was a, a dirty job i have to say that uh old books because they were they were you know the outside of the book was comprised primarily of leather um when leather gets old it rots and so there was this phenomenon called red rot that got on everything like every bit of your clothes you could never go there with anything good you know, on you because you'd be full of red rot by the end of the day handling all the old books. But my job was to literally photocopy the title page and the verso of every book that had been donated into this collection uh, with a serial number. And that went to the insurance company so that we could insure this huge collection. But that was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it gave me a, a great interest for history. And the fact that, you know, at one point in, in our existence, reading was not this... Um, this thing we do, you know, fast, we don't buzz through a book. Reading was really meant for leisure time. And it was, it was a very privileged activity. And so books were designed differently. There was an art to the way a book was designed. The in, thought went into the inside cover. There would be like these beautiful paisleys like that would be on the inside covers of these books. People took time, you know, the page were gold leaf pages and uh, there was this value they weren't, they weren't mass produced to just get it out there, you know, like they are today. It was really valued. Reading was this valued thing. So, um, so yeah, that was just kind of like a, a segue that brought me into, you know, libraries. And uh, I have a degree, another master's, it's a master's in divinity. And so part of that field uh, is studying people's journeys and being fascinated with the journey that people are are taking in their life. And so this love of books that I had, this love of information, and then a love for learning people's journeys really fed into, you know, becoming a librarian. And because, uh, you know, just from working the reference desk, we spend a lot of time listening to people's journey. And sometimes we want to hear those details and sometimes we don't want to hear those details and we get yeah. them anyway. And uh, we have to be curious about the journey. And, and, you know, part of it is like the person comes to our information desk and they're asking us to take a journey with them, help them continue to learn something or find an answer for something. So uh, just kind of through my background, I've kind of learned to stay curious, to be curious about people's journeys, uh, what brought them to where they are now and what are they interested in becoming? Because the, the library is all about the, the business of helping people become something, right? You know, different and new from what they were. So, you know, it kind of all feeds into being a librarian and, and and staying curious, and it definitely helps the community outreach librarian in me. You know, yeah. especially working with people's journeys and community. Yeah, very poetic. Yeah. I don't want to add anything because that's such a perfect way to end the episode. That's <laughs> oh, all right. Here's one way to end it. Uh, Red Rot, that's the name yes, of your yes, go ahead. librarian biker gang. That's the name Is of your gang. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Good point. Good point, Alex. Exactly. Yeah. Great.
<laughs> All right. Cool. Well, I think we've covered it, and um, that you gave me an idea for a future topic we can do is um, your favorite reference question. Maybe Ooh, we, I'll oh, put that yeah. up on the board. We can How about that in a juiciest future. reference juiciest question? <laughs> question? Yeah. Great. That'll be an after uh, after hours episode. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> okay, Jonathan, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks and to both of you. I hope you. I can yeah. count on you to come back in a future episode. Absolutely, sure. this was a sure. lot of fun. Thank you. Right. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you. Bye, bye.